you may or may not have received an email saying no potluck today. If you receive an email that says no potluck, respond back to Lori because she gets so discouraged when nobody responds back to her saying, oh, no potluck? <laughs> so there is no potluck today. I know that breaks some of your hearts, but hey. And we're thin because of the flu epidemic that is obviously going through our fellowship. And Chris Lehman says, Donnie, have you got your flu shot? You're getting old. <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> and I won't get it either, Chris, because they're bad news on you. The worst case of the flu I ever received was right after the shot. I'm just saying. <laughs> we can agree to disagree. <laughs> but last week we left off with chapter 2, right in the middle of chapter 2 of First Samuel, and we heard God declare he desired to kill Eli's sons. What a message. Our God, full of mercy, full of grace, desiring to kill two priests who not only sin in their own lives, but they transgress, purposely sin, with no regard for their priestly position. Now remember, a priest is to be a mediator between God and man, and man and God. And he is to represent God to the people, and vice versa, the people to God. A priest has a duty to instruct the people in the ways of God, teaching the law at that time, teaching the precepts of God. But in the New Testament, in James 3.1, we read, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a more strict judgment. So if you're going to get into the ministry, you should prayerfully consider if that's truly God calling you into the ministry. Now, James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he writes this truth to us, a truth that is self-evident. Now, having said that, you have heard me say I never desired to teach or be a pastor, and that is the truth. But God has a sense of humor, so here I am. And know this, if you receive anything from my teachings or my ministry, it's definitely of the Lord. It really is. So I give God credit for that. <clears throat> Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they are under the Mosaic law. And there is no excuse. They know the law for their transgressing type of behavior and causing others to transgress. 1 Samuel 2.12 tells us they were corrupt and they did not know the Lord. What a disgraceful thing to be said of a priest that they do not know the Lord. Now, I'm very serious about being a pastor serving God 
And I never want it to be said of me, he does not know the Lord. You can disagree with my teachings. You can say a lot of things about me. But I never want to hear that he doesn't know the Lord. I desire to represent our Lord in a thoughtful and clear way. I want to be declaring God's truth, his word, openly. And I have a responsibility to be reading and studying God's word. And I do take that seriously. But that was a decision I came about and was in place long before I ever became a pastor. It was just being a Christian man. I desired to know God's word. As believers, it is critical for us to know and rightly divide God's word. There's way too many teachers out there who try to fashion God's word into a private interpretation. Thus you have sex, you have many different denominations, and so forth. Second Timothy, in, in that, in verse uh, 16 and 17 of chapter 3, we have this. We are given the scriptures by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we live in a world that is high-tech, for sure. And being sound in doctrine and what we believe is the utmost of importance. And a word of advice to anyone who tries to teach or has a calling upon them to teach, being sound in your doctrine is much more important than digging up a gold nugget that you want to present as a single truth. Never miss the main message that Scripture is trying to give us. Scripture has a purpose, and it's to equip us to do good works. Good works happen to be the joy givers in a Christian's life. We feel good when we've done something good for others. But there's a real art, there's a real, real wisdom when you can do good works without bringing attention to yourself. To help someone, to bless someone in an anonymous way, sometimes it requires a little planning. It's not always possible to do it without being recognized, but it's best when we're not recognized for our good works. But back to 1 Samuel. We left off in mid-chapter 2. So let's pick up in verse 26 of chapter 2. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? 
Did I not choose him out of the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offerings which I have commanded in my dwelling place and honor your sons more than me? to make yourselves fat with the best of offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and your house of your fathers would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will be not an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel, and there shall be not an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall... Consume your eyes and grieve your heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, Unhophany and Phineas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house shall come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, Please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. It starts off talking about youth. And let me say, I really enjoy our youth here. I, I truly enjoy being around them, seeing them growing in stature, in stature before the Lord and before man, and seeing God's blessings upon them. I truly pray that God will bless our youth, and he has, and he will continue. But God sent one of his servants a man of God, we don't know his name, and he sends him to Eli the priest. God will correct us if we remain teachable. That is a great asset before God, just to have an open heart before him to be teachable. None of us have all the answers. And just to have an open attitude that allows God to teach you is a great asset. This man of God reminds Eli of his heritage. What an honor it is, Eli, to be a priest, to offer sacrifices and offerings to the Lord. You're in a blessed position, Eli. But this man of God has a question for Eli. And he says, why do you have no regard for the offerings and the sacrifices that you present? Why is being a priest not important to you, Eli? 
Then we have a second and a third question. And why do you honor your sons more than your God? And why make yourself fat by taking the best of the offerings of the people? Quite the questions. So let's look briefly at profiting from the offerings of the people who want to worship God. Churches, any church of uh, substantial size, it can be a money-making, lucrative business. I'm just going to be honest. When we saw this property and we felt like the Lord was leading us to maybe try to buy it, and I began to talk to bankers, I heard a new term that I'd never heard before. And one of the questions that the bankers asked me, how many giving units do you have? Don't know. <laughs> and I don't know. Uh, uh, and so I said, well, I'm not sure. And that was important to him. But it was a, a term that I had never heard before. So the secular world, the business world, has a completely different view of you folks that attend church than what we have. You're giving units. Okay. <laughs> I consider you saints. But anyway, but we're a small church, we, and we have our own building, and we have five acres of beautiful land and a little money in the bank. And we don't owe anyone anything to speak of. And that's a blessing. And we are small. Now consider the large churches. And there's some in our area that are extremely wealthy. There's some churches in our area that the youth pastors make a six-figure salary per year. Youth pastors. Not that they're lesser, but uh, they work with kids. They're usually inexperienced, making six figures. To me, that's wow. <laughs> There's Christian TV ministries that take in millions of dollars from their viewing audience and live in gated communities and own jet airplanes and things. And I only say this because in today's worldview, what we're going to read here can be taken out of context. It can be considered archaic. But what we're really saying, basically parents, be parents. Your child already has friends. He doesn't need you to be his buddy. Our children, they need role models. They need parents that will correct them, parents that will love them, parents who will guide them. Once your child is grown, go ahead and be their best friend. But while they're in your home and under your instruction, be a parent. This man of God asked Eli, why do you kick at my sacrifice and offering 
which I have commanded you here in the tabernacle. And we have an example of a wise and loving parent in the New Testament, a parent who uses great wisdom in dealing with his son and does not honor his children over God. So turn with me to Luke 15, and we'll look at the prodigal son. We'll we'll look at the younger son. We won't get into the older son. Luke 15, 11 through 21. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine or pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and, and, and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. We won't go with the rest of the story. Uh, It deals with the older son and so forth. But we're going to look at the father and the younger son here. The younger son wants his inheritance. He wants what he considers his portion of goods. My mother was quite the business person, quite successful in life. And as she grew older and older, she would come to us kids and say, what should I do? What do you want me to do for you? And I would say to her, Mom, it's your money. Do with it as you please. It's yours. You know, so just do do as you see fit. But this younger son, he wants his money. He wants his portion of the goods. And now we see... The father divides his wealth, and he divides the wealth between the younger and the older son. He divided to them. The older son who stayed home got got his share. Now, in that culture that Jesus is speaking of, the younger son, he's running an extreme risk here. The community probably would take action against him if they heard of his insubordination. This community, being a tight-commit Jewish community, 
would have probably stoned this younger son for being so disrespectful to his father. It's unheard of disrespect that is being shown here. However, the father divides the livelihood, and the younger son, he goes off to a place like Las Vegas. Nobody here from Las Vegas is here. <laughs> and he takes his wealth, and he wastes it, and he wastes it on prodigal living. He's living the party life. He spends all his wealth considerable wealth, and then a famine strikes, strikes in the land that he's living in. He's looking for somewhere to live, somewhere to eat, and he ends up taking a job feeding pigs, an unlawful job for any Jewish person. And it says he would have gladly eaten the pig's food. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that he was feeding the pigs. And by the way, pigs stink. I don't know if you've ever been around any of them. We got a neighbor down the street. You get close to his house, you know he keeps pigs <laughs> because they stink. <clears throat> but this young man, he's in a desperate situation and his father's not there to comfort him or to bail him out. His dad is in back home and the father allows this son to come to an end of his sinful behavior, his foolish living. Dad has not followed the son. Dad has not sent a servant to see how his son is doing, and he had the means to do that. He could have easily sent a servant, go find my son and see how he's doing. No, dad doesn't do that. The father is allowing his son to live a desperate life in the hopes that he will grow sick of a sinful lifestyle. That's the father's hope. And the son does. But apparently, it took some time. We don't know how long it took. I would imagine it took a few, at least a few months, probably a few years even, for the son to finally go through all the money. But in verse 17, we read, but the son came to himself. He came to his senses. And he realizes that the servants of his father's house, the servants that he used to know and interact with and tell them things to do, they have a much better life than he has. The son concocts a plan. I will return home. I will tell my father I have sinned against heaven or basically I have sinned against everything you stand for, Dad. And I have sinned against you. Listen to his new revelation. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the hired 
servants. Shift over to the father. The father has loved his son enough to stand firm and demonstrate what we would call tough love. Tough love is doing what is best for someone regardless of how it may be received. You're not always going to be received as a loving parent if you show tough love. You can even allow that child to suffer so the child will learn probably the most valuable lesson of his life. A life-changing lesson. The son came to his senses. The father never stopped loving his son. It wasn't something he could turn off. Well, he's been a bad boy. I'll just let him go. No, he loved him. He simply controlled his emotions. He gave the son the wealth that he wanted, and he knew that the son was going to waste it. I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> I really, I'm serious. If I know you're going to waste it, well, why bother give it to you? He gave the son his wealth knowing that he was going to waste it. And the younger son, he's reached a point where if his father, father speaks advice to him, he no longer listens. He's reached that point where he just wants out. He wants to go live his own life, do his own thing. And nothing the father could say will bring this child, this younger son, to his senses. Nothing he can say. But the father cannot stop loving his son. He can't just turn it off. But he cannot become part of the son's sin. And that's where he draws a line. I won't be part of his sin. Let me tell you a, a story I'm very familiar with. I knew a young man who desired to live party life, and he wanted to smoke dope. He'd heard all the good things about marijuana, and he wanted, he wanted that to be part of his life. His mother reasoned with him, and her reasoning went something like this. I would rather he smoke dope here at home and be safe not out driving the streets or doing worse things. Her solution, her compromise, smoke dope with my son here at home. Oh, yeah, there you go. The trouble is the Christian husband of that home could not allow this in his home. His stepson and his wife are getting high together. And it wasn't long till that marriage came apart. What a surprise. What a surprise. Verse 20, the prodigal son is on his way home. And while he's still a great way off, his father sees him 
and has compassion. And the father, still possessing his great love for his wayward, sinful son, he's still watching, still looking for his son to return. And I tell you, I know that father was even praying every day for that boy. Still desiring to restore his wayward son. The father has not given up. He's not given up on this delinquent boy. And there lies the answer for all of us that feel we have a wayward child or a wayward friend. Our children can readily forfeit everything they know to be right. They can do it. Or they can just partially do it. Be in partial rebellion. Love that child enough to pray for them. Love them enough to pray for them. For prayer many times is our only weapon available to combat evil that is coming against them. Did this prodigal sons pray, father pray for him? I think every day without a doubt. Did the son return and repent? Yeah, he did. Most likely after several years. Back to Eli. This man of God, unnamed, came to Eli declaring, You honor your sons more than God. What an indictment. And he has a message from the Lord for Eli. Far be it from the Lord, Eli, to honor you. I will honor those who honor me and respect me. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And here's the sign I'm going to give you, Eli. Because Eli was not being a good father, was not being a good parent. And here in verse 34, we have a sign. A sign will be the death of Hophni and Phinehas, who will die on the same day. Your sons are going to die before the Lord on the same day, Eli. And then God says, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And he's speaking of Samuel, the little child that is there in the temple or in the tabernacle. Much as we are devoted to our children, loving them, and you are to love your children. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't for a moment, and we should care for them. God says, honor me, the living God, above that child above anyone, above anything. Anything that may come into your life, God says, you put me first. That's a loving God that says that to us. And God makes no apology for declaring, 
Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Regardless. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.